0: Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Now, I know what you're thinking. I like to avoid the Teacher's Lounge because there's too much gossip and complaining going on. You know what? I agree with you. But this Teacher's Lounge is different. In this Teacher's Lounge, I take the time to interview some of my friends and colleagues from all across the country and even the world to talk about teaching different topics that matter and how using comprehensible input strategies can work to make all of their students successful. So I hope you enjoy your trip to the teacher's lounge and that you enjoy today's episode. I'm really excited for you all to hear my interview with my friend Kristen Wolf today. Kristen is a Spanish teacher from Montana and she is An awesome teacher, and she's an awesome friend. And I've just really enjoyed getting to know her over the past year. She's super helpful. She's a curriculum club coach. She loves working with people, and she's probably one of the most encouraging and positive people that I've met. And I can't wait for you to hear her story and her background. She shares a little bit of some of the struggles that she encountered when she was learning language in school and just in school in general, and how that has played a role in her wanting to be a teacher that makes sure that all of her students are reached in her lessons and kind of that journey that she's gone on. So our focus of our conversation today is a little bit about getting to know Kristen and her background, but also on some ideas and tips and just a conversation about how we can differentiate a little bit in our classes to make sure that all of our students are seen and heard and feel valued and are able to be successful. So I hope you enjoy it. Check it out. All right, everyone, I'm super excited to welcome my friend, Kristen Wolf, to talk with us today a little bit about her background in teaching, some of the passions that she has, and some of her experiences teaching with comprehensible input and differentiating that for different students. So, Kristen, welcome, and tell us a little bit about your teaching background and where you come from.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, what an honor. So, I uh, am originally from DC, the DC area. And I, my mom and dad pretty quickly realized that I had a lot of energy and a lot of passion for things. And um, a, they oftentimes had a hard time figuring out how to help me channel that. And so, as I grew, it became pretty apparent that I, um, while I had a vast amount of intelligence, I, still needed support in the classroom. And so I was oftentimes like the class clown because I was bored or because I wasn't being, you know, I wasn't challenged enough or conversely, I was trying to make up for um, deficits that I had. Like I was a really slow reader. I've been diagnosed as dyslexic and with ADD. And I um, ended up um, getting a diagnosis and I think, what I found that you know a diagnosis can oftentimes be really helpful, and it can also be really uh, you know confining and 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 limiting in some ways so um, you know when people always ask me what to do with their kids, like should they get tested, should they not? I, I always go back and forth, but I think for me, at times it was really helpful to know who I was in a in a deeper capacity, but um in, at other times it was frustrating because I felt like I had this label attached to me and I, I oftentimes felt stupid. Um, but in reality, I, I, you know, thankfully I have been, thanks to my parents, I've grown into a very confident, um, uh, intellectually curious human being. And so, um, I, as you can tell, I have the gift of gab. And so language came pretty easy to me. I, I, my mom would speak it at home, um, on and off. And so uh, going into classes, it was pretty easy, even though those classes were grammar memorization based, um, classes. So
0: yeah. As you, as you kind of went from being a learner of languages and transitioning into being a teacher of languages, how did you end up not necessarily using a textbook or not leaning towards that. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I
1: pretty in, pretty quickly, um, I remember being, when I was a student, I, I always tell this to my students because it's kind of funny. Um, I, I was caught in eighth grade on Valentine's Day cheating on a test. Oh. And s- yeah, so I was totally caught red-handed and my mom worked at the school, so it was like triple consequence city and um and but i remember that that stuck with me mostly because i still liked the language and i continued and got you know took the ap exam Wait, so you
0: were you were cheating on one of your language tests yep oh
1: yeah i know right so i i didn't i didn't like i didn't i didn't work well with memorization and so i i i could hear things i'm a very auditory processor um, and so I, I could hear things and 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 piece together the language, and I felt confident doing that. Yet, I like if I had to memorize things that I had the test pressure, I I usually crumbled and I felt very in, inferior and incomplete when I was doing those those assessments. So that stuck with me because I really wanted. Um, I still liked Spanish, and I always and most of my teachers, I. Um, had a hard time connecting with. Cause like they were all really focused on, you know, the, the grammar, the correctness, the
0: what's polite, what's not, you know, to say. And um, so you're kind of missing a little bit of that relationship building that a lot of people talk about with comprehensible input classrooms.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I think, I think if I met some of my Spanish teachers today, like it would be, or, you know, saw them again, I would, I would be really psyched to talk with them and to, like just to show them my journey because I think, I think they all like appreciated me and like would laugh at me because do I was
0: ridiculous at times. Do you think but, they would have expected you to become a Spanish teacher or do you think
1: no. that you would be shocked? I think they, I don't know. It, I mean, I think they knew that I had like a, an innate, innate gift for it. Like I could hear it. Um, but you know, I'd never did well on tests and, and quizzes. Like even the SAT, like I did not do well on that. like
0: I was lucky to break a thousand. I was like, woohoo, broke a thousand. Woo. And I I can't relate to that at all. We took the ACT here in Wisconsin. So I don't know what that means. Good. Well, good. And it's funny because I had a lot of the opposite experience. I feel like I'm a very strong test taker. I have a math brain. I'm really good at grammar and memorization. And so it's interesting how, you know, teachers from when we were students, how we learn differently and we process differently. As adults now being the ones who are teaching the language, we can gravitate towards that. Yeah. Um, towards that same way of teaching because for me, my breaking point, I did start teaching with the textbook because that did work for me. But once I realized that it wasn't reaching all of my students and my students weren't find all finding success and I was starting to go crazy because of that, that's when I started to look for something better. And so um, I guess maybe do you want to talk about kind of a little bit of the journey you've gone on from how you've been teaching, so the different methods you've used to teach, um, kind of yeah. what's working well for you now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I did, you know, it's funny, as I got older, I did start to like the grammar and I, I, I dug in deep with that. I thought it was fascinating. But, you know, my analytical brain really liked that. But, it's but probably you had enough,
0: you had enough language built up to be able to kind yeah. of analyze it in your own head.
1: Yeah. And so, but I think as I continued, I realized like how boring the textbook was and how I just didn't feel like it helped me as an individual. I remember going to Spain actually. And I thought, wow, I'm like, I'm like the advanced person in my group. Like I'm pretty awesome. I can speak to any Well, you are awesome. (laughs) Thanks. But I mean, I I was a little (laughs) cocky, right? I was a little like over full of myself. And then but then my with my host family, there were so many things I wanted to say that I couldn't communicate. And I a lot of it was like in the subjunctive. They would ask me like hopes and dreams types of things and I'd be like, I have to conjugate those for bar- oh! you know, it just felt overwhelming. So but when I got to, to when I realized I wanted to teach, I I actually started with a program called Music Lingua. So I was using music. And these props like to, I had this big box. I would carry it around. I love music lingua. My friend um, Gigi here in town made it in Bozeman. So it's a great program. And it was, it really helped me understand a lot of like, like, basically comprehensible input, but I didn't know that was the term at the time. And so I would walk around with these props, like, oh, the giraffe is big, is it big or small? Does it have a long neck or a short neck? And I would say it all in Spanish. And it felt really good to be able to stay in the language, yet I, I felt confined a little bit by the songs, and I wanted to talk maybe not about the giraffe, you know, like I wanted to like, you know, maybe talk about those hopes and dreams, or you know, like how to describe Madrid, or you know, things like that. So um, when I when I did get my teaching certificate and my masters, I really was being pushed by my admin to use a textbook but it felt really clunky and not uh, intuitive. And I, I started looking into, you know, different online curriculums and things. and, But I never felt like I had a a you know a good stronghold on like how to help every single kid in my class. And that was always my goal because I, I knew, you know, as a special needs person, I guess, um, you know, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I often felt like, I, how could I reach all those kids and let them know that they have the capacity to acquire the language in a really natural and easy way that's, you know, hopefully fun and engaging. And so I started experimenting with like TPRS and things like that. And, and I I love what people at TPRS do. I'm, you know, it just, for me, I, I had a hard time implementing it and I felt pretty stagnant using this targeted language. And anyway, so I think for me, what, one of the things that I've been really, my biggest passion has been trying to get all kids involved, showing all kids that they can learn. Um, so that's been my big push.
0: That's awesome. And so do you find that what you're using now is kind of reaching more students, reaching all of them. Um, Can you maybe talk about some of your tips for how to reach all of the students and the best ways to make sure kind of they're all included and we can reach them whether they are um, maybe students who have special needs who have an IEP or students who are you know suffering with you know no label or you know their parents aren't recognizing that they need extra support or you know different things like that because I know for me um, many of my students, now that I'm using comprehensible input, are super successful, whether they have an IEP or they're undiagnosed or they just are a regular kid that, you know, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't learn from school well. You can't see my air quotes if you're listening to this, but I have air quotes. Um, and so I think just kind of reminding teachers that there are some easy ways that we can kind of differentiate and reach all of our kids is super important, especially because I see a lot of teachers that post, you know, oh, well, I'm using CI now and all my students have A's or B's. Like, I feel like they shouldn't be that way. But that just shows that we're reaching all the kids better. Um, Or, you know, people will say like, whoa, my student with an IEP, like for me at my school, personally, students with IEPs in the past have been traditionally pulled out of Spanish in order to have be serviced during that time. But now I have a lot of students requesting to stay in Spanish and being pulled from different classes because they are successful and they are engaged and they are enjoying it. So if you would be willing to share a few tips or different things that you do in your classroom that kind of reaches all the kids and keeps them engaged, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, I think you're making a really good point that, you know, um, Typically we, you know, traditionally we've said, okay, these these special needs, you know, kids or IEP kids are with 504 plans, that you know, they shouldn't be in there because they need those special services. Yes, they do absolutely need those special services. And I would argue that like for someone like me, I found I had a superpower in in ways that they, that wasn't being recognized when I was pulled from things. And so, um, you know, to work on my reading or things. And, and so I found that, um, you know, as a teacher, I believe that, that we, you know, we should be open to, to helping students in any way we can and encouraging those kids to stay in our classes, to try it out because, sometimes you just never know what that kid's going to latch on to and what they're going to excel at. And, um, so I think, yeah, I, you, you hit on a lot of really good points that, you know, um, one thing I want to acknowledge is like, I'm an auditory learner, but I, as I've gotten older, I've realized I'm actually very visual too. And so I've, I've actually, since we've been doing online, you know, remote learning, I've been playing with Canva, like at, at the suggestion of Tina Hargaden, and I have really, really enjoyed making some visual, visually pleasing documents yeah. that really ha- help. Um, like, I, I, get, I get, I get, I get, I can kind of geek out on it because it's fun to to write and have these visuals to support their reading. So, yet yeah, just yesterday, I was making a, a like a, a Canva story with a student and we were plugging in, you know, different graphics to help make the story really comprehensible so that student could go back and read it to with their families and and show off their skills. And I think we we need to acknowledge as humans that, yeah, even if we or as as teachers, even if we do speak really slowly, as we all should aim to, right, in theory, um, I agree in that. (laughs) Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. So I think that's really important and and critical yes that will that will help latch in more students right and at the same time um you you may feel like you're losing some of your high flyers who want to speak faster who like that challenge right that's where i think bringing in the visuals can help couple and marry those two uh groups essentially because like a visual learner really needs that, th- those visual supports, whether it's with a prop, whether it's with a, a visual aid, whether you're um, you know, drawing something, that, that'd be a visual aid. But, I love um, that. I just
0: want to stop you there for a second because yeah. I think what you're saying is so powerful that this idea of, okay, so the speaking, we're reaching those auditory learners. And I know yeah. that there's debate about, you know are we really just one type of a learner or are there multiple? But I think being able to layer those together So like having the auditory speaking slowly, having the visuals, um, and then even bringing in some of that kind of that reading and giving them opportunities to output, like stacking them on top of each other in the same lesson or with the same content is super powerful. So I'm glad you're mentioning that.
1: Yeah, it's critical, I think, because we, we don't, like you said, we don't know that, you know, yeah, I might say I'm a kinesthetic learner, but in reality, like, I'm also probably visual and audit, you know. And, and as humans, we we do a, a large amount of our processing through our eyes. They say that that's our biggest input, you know. And I mean, obviously, not if you're blind, but like, you know, I would argue a a blind person you you could give them things to touch and and feel, and that would be just as powerful for them. Um, but that's another ball game. But I think I think we end up you know, in our classrooms, you know, speaking slow, having those visuals, creating those experiences that, you know, give us, um, you know, heightened, um, excitement, but also that downtime, like for a kid that's like overly stimulated on a, on the regular, (laughs) those kids need the, you know, like to have either, you know, a brain break and then maybe, you know, dive back into something. And then a brain break is something for that kid, maybe, or you know, to to highlight their their needs, um, could be like a, me, a brief meditation where they just close their eyes and just your breathing. You know, little things like that I think support their learning and help them their brains to relax and say, okay, I can do this, I I got this.
0: Yeah, I love that. So um, I love that idea of that the brain break doesn't always have to be super high energy. I think that's a really important reminder. Yeah, and I think too. Um, I would love for you to share. If you're comfortable, I'm kind of plopping this on you on the spot here, about if, if students have struggles with reading and with reading comprehension because we often talk about um, and I, I have my own personal experiences um, with students that have trouble either decoding their reading and having a hard time just reading it or having a hard time with the comprehension part of it. Um, but how you how you help them be successful when a lot of our classes, you know we have free choice reading time, where we have these write and discuss texts that we go back and read and things like that. And what kinds of things help those students be successful?
1: Yeah, oh gosh, that's great. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'm a really slow reader and um, I always give my students this spiel that may or may not help, but I, I, I hope it you does. You always try. Yeah, so I always tell them that like, listen, I was not a reader, I hated it, I thought I was stupid, I'm really slow. I'm like, but this, I mean, essentially at the beginning of the year, I give them this pep talk that like, we're going to be reading every day. And whether it's a three sentence, you know, short and sweet paragraph, or whether it's a, a, a novel, you know, and, that they've chosen or, or even a graphic novel, right? So I think for a lot of those kids, it's it's good for them to hear that that I have struggled because then it makes them go, wait, like, I'm not going to be stuck in this situation my whole life of feeling stupid or feeling slow or feeling like I don't get it. And I think we need to recognize as teachers that putting a book in front of a kid, um, even if it does have a glossary in the back, even if it does have visual aids, is really, can really be overwhelming for the kids that need that extra reading support. And so I try to remove all boundaries from them and just go, listen, This is for your pleasure. Like this is, my goal is for you to just relax for, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's only five minutes, you know, just relax with the book. You, I'm not going to quiz you on this. I'm not going to ask you to journal about it. I'm not going to ask you to um, do anything crazy with it because I want you to truly enjoy the reading. And I think a lot of kids these days are not given that time to really start to enjoy a book, because they 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 we as visual people we we gravitate toward video games and social media or YouTube, you know, and so we're we're constantly enjoying this visual world. But reading can be like you're really in your imagination. Like yeah, it's visual, but it's also like your these imagined these images are, you know. That's that's what's that's what's so beautiful about reading is like your brain is conjuring up these these these, these images that, that will stick with you. And so I think a lot of kids don't recognize, they don't, they don't even know that that's like a, that pleasure reading is a thing. And so yeah. I, I try to like bust that open and just be like, yeah, it's a thing. Like we're going to do it. And, well, so, and I
0: think because in a lot of their other classes, um, some of the texts they might be reading in their language arts classes aren't comprehensible to them or they you know cover these topics that they're just forced to read and so i think there is some of that beauty like you said in like giving them all these options letting them choose and letting their kind of imaginations go to work and learn learn to enjoy reading um, yeah. there's more to it than just having to read this certain chapter and answering these questions and things like that because i think it's really powerful for them yeah. that's awesome and then there's one more thing that i wanted to ask you about while we're on here, because I think we're, I don't know how much time we've been on, um, but I don't want to keep this too long, um, is talking about tests. So you talked about not being a strong test taker, um, and as teachers, when we're not necessarily testing them on vocabulary or grammar or conjugating verbs and things like that, how do the ways of testing, for example, writing or reading or listening and the um, the different skills they're involved with Um, interpreting and expressing meaning in a language, how do you think those help the students that are either a super gifted and have a lot more to give or are struggling a little more and maybe find assessments challenging or stressful? So how do you how do you see that these tests work for all the students across the board? Great question, wow. Um, I think
1: for me, one of the things I've been using Curriculum Club this year, and one of the things I really love about it the most is that I get my students to self-assess using the rubrics that are very clearly defined, or the writing continua that are. So, what types defined. of
0: things are included in those rubrics? Because I don't yeah. want um, I don't want anyone listening to think that yeah. necessarily it's like oh, the accuracy of the grammar is you know worth ten points and things like that. So, can you share a little totally. bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, like just for example.
1: One of the things that um, in the rubrics I've been working with is um, I'm having ex- ex- explicitly asking my students to write in the past, present, and future. And and it, there's nothing about accuracy in there. It's literally, you know, that's what they are at, um, I believe it's intermediate, mid. And so if they are, you know, using all those tenses, right, then it gives them a little more freedom to be like, oh, wait, I, like I can talk about the what I think will happen in the future, and the past, and the present. And so they're not, even if they're messing it up, like it's, they're trying, right? They might still be trying. And so um, I think it, it, what I love about these rubrics is they help to um, like open, again, open, like bust the hinges off like our expectations. So like a high flying kid who loves to write and read and all that good stuff and speak, maybe they are, you know, they're going to just like take that and run with it. 'Cause they see where the path is and they're just gonna go. But a kid who is struggling might go, Wait, okay, cool. I said a sentence. Oh, I'm on the board, I, I'm a novice high, you know, like or you know, I wrote um two sentences. I'm an intermediate low, like cool, I'm on the path, you know, like and I, I appreciate how but there's explicit. a place for them. Yes. No matter where they're
0: at, there's a place for them.
1: Yeah. And so I think having and also having them self-assess is really critical because then they know there's no mystery with how I'm grading them. They're not like, I, I don't like grading really at all. I, 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 I think it's like, I feel, I feel like I'm judging them, you know? And I appreciate
0: and, that honesty. I don't think yeah. any of us really like it either.
1: I don't. Yeah. And so I think, I think kids feel really judged. And so if they know what they're being judged upon, it, it feels not as harsh. And so.
0: that these are things that they have control of, right? Yeah. Because when we talk about acquisition and how the brain works, there's just certain things like you mentioned with the the accuracy of those tenses that doesn't come until way later and they've had yeah. tons of exposure to the language, but yet, you know, being able to include adjectives to describe someone, that's something that they can control adding in. Totally. I think. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I really, I, that's one way I would say I would differentiate another way is like, yeah. So letting them know there's this path right there, this continuum that they're on and then having them set their own goals, like, like very explicitly like, okay, today I really want to use these three verbs, like, you know, um, likes wants and has, I don't know. And so they might, you know, include that, um, or in a way that's, More meaningful to them because they, you know, they they set those goals out. They 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 put out their benchmarks. So um, that's another way. And then sometimes I love I love with like in curriculum club, Tina always talks about graphic organizers. I love those because kids kids can just kind of run with them. You can give them some options. They have choices. And I think whenever you give kids choices, that you're you're really differentiating in a very powerful way because they're choosing their own adventure. They're choosing how they're going to engage with the material and they're able to either like take off and fly high, or they're going to just like do the minimum. And that's okay too, because they're on a path and, you know, they, they'll they still be watching those other kids flying high and being like, wait, maybe I could try that, you know, because they, they have the support and the scaffolding to get
0: there. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I would love to just kind of finish on that note that I think that being able to see where they can go, whether that's on a continuum, on a rubric, seeing their classmates doing something that maybe makes them think, hmm, maybe I could do that. I think that's super powerful, being able to see where that destination is, um, or even hear it, you know, if you're playing, like, I don't know if you play the question and answer game. Yes. Yeah. So if they're playing like the question and answer game, and if you guys don't know, that those of you that are listening, um, I do have a podcast episode about how to play that. um, So you can go check that out. But um, they can hear that their classmate is able to speak these great sentences and share this information. And maybe they're not saying so much, but they still get points for what they are able to say. And they can see, hey, I can understand them. That's someone who's my same age, who's in the same class as me. I can get there too. And they can see it. And I think it's powerful to recognize what students can do versus what they're you know, perceived to be lacking, again with the air quotes that you can't see. Um, and so I think that just focusing on what they're able to do, like you said, laying out a path for them, having options, giving them choice, I think that's all super powerful and will make make our students more successful and to be seen and to be heard in their classes because that's super important. So I'm not sure if there's any any last, things that you wanted to add or just kind of share with anyone who's listening? No, I, I mean, I'm
1: always willing to, um, help people with things like that with ideas. Um, I, so reach out. I really like working with kids with special needs or with an IEP and, trying to be creative in how we, we um, welcome them into our, into our world. Um, So thank you for having me today. I'm really grateful. Thank you so
0: much for coming, um, for sharing your personal experience, being vulnerable with us. That means a lot. And so thank you. This is Kristen Wolf, La Lobelista. Um, And you can find her in all the Facebook groups and on social media and things. And maybe I'll link her podcast in the description of my podcast. So you can check out and hear more from her. So thanks for tuning in today.